and welcome to another episode of the O3C podcast, coming to you from O3C Games. I am Jonathan Dunn. I've always been that, and I will continue to be that. Chris Dow is here with me. Hello. Hello, and I reckon, give a few years, I'll probably still be Chris Dow as well. No guarantees? Probably not. Chatting about video games. Announcement! Announcement! Quickly, right here, right now. We need and would love some support from you. O3C.game slash support, one-off PayPal donation, regular Patreon subscription, sharing the podcast on social media, leave us a review on your podcast platform, all of that sort of thing. There's rewards available for most of those things, so please do us a solid. Help us out with a few quid or a few shares. Tack. Hello. You're right. <laughs> Welcome to our final Playdate update episode. Oh, geez, it is, isn't it? I know. That's right. We've come to the end of the season run. Well, in fact, we did that last episode, but Panic saw fit to treat us to two bonus free games to extend the season by uh, just another little bit. So we're going to be putting together a huge Playdate ranking episode special after this one today and uh, that will give you the rundown of our favourites to our least liked games. Did you know that there isn't an antonym for favourite? Unfavourite. Nope, not a word. <laughs> least liked. Is that the best we can do? As a hyphenated, that's what the internet reckons is the antonym to favourite. Least liked. That's ugly though, isn't it? Yeah, isn't it? That's not pleasant to say. No, no. We'll give you the rundown of our favourites to our least liked <laughs> games across the whole first season. And across some of the catalogue games as well. It's going to be great. But before then, we have to cover Real Steel and Recommendation Dog. And before we do that, we have to update you on what we've been playing in the last week. I've got a bunch of catalogue playdate games to cover. But first, let's return to Hyrule, Skyrule and Low Rule in Tears of the Kingdom. Chris, how have you been faring in Link's latest adventure? I'm having a nice time still. Mm. It's... Absolutely astonishing. Just absolutely astonishing. Like genuinely mind-blowing at almost every turn. Yeah. In the lead-up to release, pretty much until that extended gameplay demo that was shown a month or so before it came out, I had wrongly pegged this as Breath of the Wild Plus. I really felt like it was just going to be, oh, we got the basics and we're just going to add a few little doodads and extra whistles and whatever else. You know, the same core game, but a new story, maybe slightly adapted topography. If anyone else is in the same boat and has yet to play the new game, please disregard those expectations mm. because this is every bit a sequel that is seven years in the making. Yeah. Like, it's an unbelievable thing. I don't know if my penchant for playing weird and sometimes just outright bad games has made playing this game an even greater sucker punch. Like, maybe <laughs> there are other big AAA games out there that do at least a portion of what Tears of the Kingdom does. But for me, every single time I boot the game up, at least one thing happens to make me feel like a genuine sense of awe that this is yeah. coming out of my television, that this is a game I'm allowed to play. It's, it's unbelievable. In one series of events the other day, I fought my way to one of the mapping towers that uncovered, you know, more of your, your map. I built a bridge to access it using logs and rocks that I had felled or collected myself. I was shot into the air to survey the area and then use my glider to navigate to a little floating island. I found a trigger point to initiate a dive through the ring sort of mini game from that island and then landed in a pool of water that seconds previously had been mere pixels in the distance as I fell through the sky. And that in turn, with my lovely landing, caused a hidden shrine to rise from the ground, which I could then enter and fight my way through a little puzzle. There was no loading between any of those steps. <laughs> Nothing. 
No waypoint markers telling me this was something I needed to investigate at all. I just stumbled upon the whole chain via proper organic discovery. And that chain of events was just such a small little microcosm of what this game offers every single time I boot it up. And it just manages to make you always eager to explore and then just reward you with vast riches every single time. (laughs) Every single time. Yeah. You know, that little scenario there, I felt clever for making a workable bridge. First reward. I'm in the air looking over the continent. It's just a reward being able to see that rendered in front of me. Now my map is slightly more filled to make navigation and quick travel easier. Again, a bit of a reward. Then I've found what feels like a totally secret area that's barely visible from the ground. Great reward. Now I'm playing pilot wings as I fall down. Great. Love that game. Reward. Now I've landed on a little tiny target as if I've leapt off the agency building in Crackdown. Great game. Another (laughs) reward. Then I've unlocked something cool and new to enter and beat. Like every step of that, I just felt like someone was patting me on the back and just going, do a bit more, do a bit more, see what else you can find. It's just an incredible run of feelings. And none of that had any explicit direction. Like I can't stress that part enough as to why I love this game. Like there's hard-coded environmental direction, of course, because that's why this is such a successful game. But Zelda's biggest strength in both Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom is to be able to present a world that feels so completely open, but with just enough subtle nudging and signposting that no play session is wasted. Yeah. Because if it was just a completely open map, you wouldn't have any idea where to go. But the way it's designed is that you've got these little roads, you've got these little icons, you've got little things that will just sort of pluck your interest as you're walking around. And everything has been considered and playtested to within an inch of its life. So it's always fun every single time. All of this praise might mean nothing, like I said, because I haven't played the last decade of Assassin's Creed games. I haven't played any of the Sony big first-party open-world action games. I haven't engaged with online gaming outside of fucking Chocobo GP, (laughs) you know, for years and years. But to play it today, I think Tears of the Kingdom, to my mind, is the most impressive game ever made. Yeah. Like, it's, it's unreal, and I would like to play more of it, ideally, right now. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the best way of sort of describing this is like, it's a 10 out of 10 game, but it's the sort of 10 out of 10 game where you have to go back over your ranking of every other game you've ever played and minus at least one from it. (laughs) You know? Like, a a word that you used to describe it is, is robust. Yeah. Because, like you said, everything is so considered, everything is so tested that it is just so robust. It makes you feel like you can do anything because you can do anything and use it in whatever way you want. Like, I just can't believe how much there is to do in the game. No, it's silly. The refreshing thing is that it's not like an Assassin's Creed where there are literally like generative endless side missions and fetch quests to do. Like every single bit of content in this game has weight and worth to it. Yeah. All of the, the side quests have got some narrative value to them, which is wonderful, even more so than Breath of the Wild. Even like the little mini side quests, like pairing up the Korok seeds yeah. or helping the Hudson signpost guy out means that like he's so good every single time you do one of those you have to employ creative problem solving to complete it and it's different every time because even though like the challenge on paper is like well you just have to do this same thing a hundred times pair up two korok seeds balance a sign even though it sounds like it'll be the same a hundred times it's not it's different every time 
more than that, I can't believe just how much world there is to explore. Like, so silly. I'm amazed at how inviting it is to explore Hyrule all over again after playing through it in Breath of the Wild. It is remarkably different to that first game for a start, but it's also, like, surprisingly nostalgic and also sometimes emotional to go back to areas of the game that I haven't been to in six years. Like, when I stumbled across the Great Plateau for the first time, which is where your adventure begins in Breath of the Wild, I got a little weepy. Like, I I remember, like, the broad strokes of the Hyrule map, but really, I mean, barely anything. I remember that Hyrule Castle's in the middle. Yeah, yeah, that's that's basically (laughs) it. So I just stumbled across the Great Plateau, like, just being like, I'm just wandering around because I saw something that looked cool, and I thought, oh, and then, bam, Great Plateau. Oh, took my breath away. Absolutely amazing. And if you're getting a little bit bored of exploring Hyrule, which you just don't get bored, but like if you want a change of pace, get up in the sky. Explore the incredible sky islands that offer just a whole other pace of challenge and exploration. It's phenomenal and breathtaking. And then, hey, if you want a whole other change of pace, get your Hylian ass down to the depths for some gloomy, gloriously atmospheric exploration in the dark. Like, all three planes of this world are equally as enticing and wonderfully satisfying to explore. It's just, no matter what you do, it's just an absolute treat. And like we said, the level of care that's gone into every single element of the game is astonishing. Like, I think it was just today or yesterday, it was revealed that the additional year-long delay that the game had was purely just to refine everything in it. And it really, really shows because it comes back to that word robust again. Every single element has been designed to be absolutely perfect. I just, I can't believe how different everybody's experience of the game is. Like I'm avoiding sort of engaging too much in social media because I'm enjoying just everything being a surprise and everything being fresh. But even just like in the Discord, somebody said like, yeah, I'm not massively far into the game. I've only got two memories so far. (laughs) And I don't know how many hours I've played the game now. 15, maybe. I had no idea what he was talking about. <laughs> his marker yeah. for like his general progression yeah. through the game. No idea. Memories? What? Have you found them now? No. <laughs> no. Well, no, enjoy too, that. Enjoy yeah. that. And it's not like I'm actively going no, out of no. my way. I was just like, Mom, just following the stuff that I'm finding interesting and I'm progressing and I'm growing and I'm developing. Yeah. It's mad that the game is that malleable. I mean, as a, not as a, as a spoiler, but like the memories in this game function very similar to the way the the camera picture sort of memories did in breath of the wild so they they tell you a bit of story essentially yeah yeah yeah. what both games do really well and i don't think this spoils too much to to say it is the way that that is introduced to you so the the mechanic of finding things via the camera or or the memories and i won't say any more than that in in tears of the kingdom is you're presented your first one out of order that is out of order (laughs) but in neither game it's like here is memory one yeah and now on you go to find two both of them are like do you want number six yeah <laughs> and even that the consideration to say this is memento storytelling this is yeah. like you sort it out yourself like here's a chunk yeah. you know there's a rough order because we've given you a number but to make you want to find out what's happened before and also afterwards this is mm. not presented in a linear order unbelievable that's really powerfully confident i think mm. in terms of narrative design in that this is not a straightforward narrative delivery anyway because of the the way the game is presented to you you know it's not after an hour here's the next cutscene. oh you've walked a bit further here's the next bit it's very much saying things have happened and you're just largely piecing it together 
whether that's as a combination because of environmental things that you're like, fuck, well, that wasn't like that in Breath of the Wild. So clearly yeah. there's been a bit of impact here. You know, outside of the initial cutscene, essentially, when you first boot up the game, every, everything else is just let it happen around you. Right, Playdate stuff. Right, I'm going to give you a rundown of some Playdate catalogue games that yes. I've played before we chat about Recommendation Dog and Real Steel. So since I probably lasted a, a catalogue update, there have been some updates to the catalogue, some new games, some games that I knew from having sideloaded and I decided to rebuy. Some were brand new things and, you know, I just bought the ones that looked interesting. So I'll start with a puzzle game called Squish, which is a game that I'd played a bit of when I first sideloaded a bunch of games. And it's a nice concept where you're just trying to sort of move and merge blocks to navigate your way to solve different puzzle elements reach a goal but i got a little turned off when it introduced the different color based mechanics which yeah. at the time when i first got my play date i hadn't really got used to like the play date language yeah, of games yeah. if that makes sense because like one bit gaming was still so fresh i hadn't got really used to understanding different ways of portraying elements in that style so like the different levels of cross hatching used to denote different colors in the game like just did not read for me very well at first but returning to it now, like months after I've put hours upon hours into my play date, I'm having a whale of a time. It's a really good puzzle game. It's very, very well made. It's great puzzle design. Strong recommend. Squish. S-K-W-I-S-H. Very, very good. Excellent. Another strong recommend is another game that I'd originally sideloaded and have returned to now. It's in the catalogue. And that is A Balanced Brew, which is a very, very tight action puzzle game where you use the crank to control a unicyclist across increasingly treacherous terrains to get his morning coffee for a start the level of precision in the crank is showcased so so well in this game probably the best example of how accurate the crank can be is just really really tight it's tough to get used to how to control the unicycle at first because of this level of precision but when it clicks ooh, <laughs> oh yes it's it's just really really great the game keeps up the level of challenge constantly. I've, I've rage quit several times because I've like almost got to the end of the stage and just misjudged where my balance was and just slipped up right at the end. But it's always been my fault, you know, yeah. and the game, it does give you options to change the difficulty on the fly, which is great to take those like harsher edges off. And to be honest, if it weren't for that feature, I probably wouldn't have made it as far as I have. But it's throwing new elements at you continuously throughout the game, which is great. Like different types of surface and slopes and hills and wind and bird poo and crowds of people and loads of stuff that just keeps you on your toes, keeps you thinking. There's tons of levels across at least four different environments. I've reached the fourth environment, which feels like it's the final one, but I, I could be wrong. There's loads of additional modes for different challenges. It's a very very strong game very very highly recommend i also picked up a game that's been on the catalogue actually since the catalogue launched but i hadn't tried out and that's called down the oubliette oubliette french of course for a place of forgetting Ooh. which is a dungeon crawler come tower defense game and the way the game works is you are basically going down floors of your basement and on each floor there are a certain number of waves of enemies you need to defeat all ghostly ghoulies and you don't know where they're going to spawn so you have to explore carefully place your ghost traps and weapons at strategic points so if you do encounter a wave of enemies you can run away and leave your weapons to handle them as they chase you back through the floor 
And then when you beat a wave, you get more energy to then place more traps or upgrade your already placed traps and weapons. And different traps will then be more effective against different enemies. And it's a really, really good game. Like, it's not quite as free-flowing puzzle-solving as a lot of tower defense games because... The floors are designed and not procedurally generated. So when you retry the floor, you can prepare in knowledge. And there does sort of end up feeling like right ways to solve the level. And also you carry over spare energy from one floor to the next. So like I was really, really struggling on one of the later floors. And I decided to just restart the run entirely from the beginning. And armed with knowledge of what was coming, I could then place my traps a lot more efficiently. It meant that by the time I got back to where I was towards the end of the game, I just had so much spare energy that I could just whack down all of the strongest traps, upgrade them, and just kick the game to the curb. But also, it sort of feels like if you don't do that, I don't think the last couple of levels are beatable if you haven't (laughs) just, like, really saved up a lot of spare energy. So I'm not really sure the balance of the game is quite there. But it's a really good concept, you know, certainly in essence. And I did enjoy my time with it. And I'm keeping it on my play date in the hope that it maybe gets some updates and some more levels because, yeah, it's nice. Last play date update, when I was talking about Ratcheteer, I was talking about how just impressive it is getting something like that running on the play date. And playing another game that i've just got on the catalog called legend of etad it's similarly remarkably impressive to get a game like that running on the play day it's a sort of feeling i haven't had since like when we were kids and we'd just be wowed by these more tech demo-y game boy games that baseball 2000 baseball 2000 is the one i've written down (laughs) alone in the dark on the game boy color yeah on uh, nintendo switch online it is now remarkably things that we you know we're really trying to find ways to push the hardware to new limits or finding those limits pushing way past them despite those limits being there for a reason but legend of etad is a fully fledged first person dungeon crawler game i've always been a little bit enamored with this style of game i mean even though i didn't play like the classic early pc first person dungeon crawling games yeah shining the holy ark on the saturn which was like an evolution of the concept it's an all-timer for me a top five game and I was expecting Legend of Etad to be more similar to Shine of the Holy Ark, which has the first-person dungeon-crawling aesthetic and mechanics, and then has turn-based enemy encounters. Yeah. But Legend of Etad, somehow, on the play date, has real-time combat woven into the game. Does and, it? Yep, it works brilliantly. You can move and turn and run away, raise your shield with one arm to block attacks, switch out weapons and magic attacks to fight back on the other hand, all while navigating what feels like a fully 3D world. Like, I don't know how they've got this game running. It's brilliant. Like, it's, it's not perfect. Obviously, it's asking the playdate to do an awful lot, and there's a lot of controls that took a little while to get used to, but once I've got my head around how it's asking me to play, it's great. It's one of those games that really does feel like you've got a whole world in your hands, like... I imagine the Lord feels with the earth. And... And, and the game is also sort of built quite nicely into like almost like stages not that they're named as such but you'll sort of go down into a dungeon you'll solve the puzzles defeat the enemies and you'll get out and then like back into the overworld you'll keep exploring and find the next dungeon and it means that like the developers are continuing to add more dungeons and levels to the game going forward so i mean yeah bravo to the devs on this achievement astounding to get a game like this running and 
a real achievement just to make it fun to play as well yeah the only downside i've got and i think it again it's more of a me problem and i've said this before about how i am so bad at remembering my way around in games unless they've got really really clear sort of like landmarks or a map i very easily get lost and this doesn't have a map it feels like there should be a map because you know if you press the play date like home button yeah it'll yeah. bring up like a pause screen and often there'll be information on the left hand side for the game feels like that should be a map i don't know whether or not it's like a classic homage to those early pc games which probably were just like just be lost in a dungeon but i would like that personally yeah i think a lot of those early games it was essentially just get the grid paper out yeah you know even the original fantasy star on the master system the dungeons in that are basically impossible unless you draw them out yeah and when that was re-released on the switch it had a really nice like m2 port they did auto mapping so you could actually see what was going on yeah and that was a really nice quality of life update to something that when i tried to play it years ago on emulation it was just like i don't know where i'm fucking going (laughs) every wall is the same color how am i supposed to know where i am so yeah it's a little treat isn't it to have a map auto map Love it. So I'm going to touch on the hierarchy of the programming languages that are being used to develop games for the Playdate. Are you? Because <laughs> I've apparently become Chris. <laughs> Bloody loser. Absolute weenie. But it's been so fascinating listening to the Playdate podcast. Yeah. About like the difference between developing games for the Playdate in the programming language called Lua and the other programming language simply called C. And it's been apparent that whilst Lua is a lot easier, apparently, to program in, it also then puts a lot more demand on the playdate to compensate for that, resulting in a struggle for performance if you're asking it to do too much. The other option is to develop games using C, which is a lot more complex, but allows you to harness a lot more power from the playdate. And I've really enjoyed being able to tell which games are developed in Lua and which have been developed in C, just simply from how they perform and you can tell which ones are ticking along nicely and which are groaning behind the scenes so like something like a balanced brew is so precise and tight that you know it's been whipped into shape using c and one of the games this week i'll be talking about later i think really struggles because it's asking too much of the play date whilst using lua yeah I've also heard about games that have combined the languages for something that's getting the best of both worlds. And obviously there are great games using Lua that are just developed to work within the limitations of performance that you need to do, you know, with that. The other option outside of Lua and C is to use Pulp, which is the browser-based game making tool that Panic have released, allowing anyone to make simple tile-based games for the Playdate. It's a really, really lovely thing to have done. And I would really love to see Pulp continue to be developed further to allow more gaming options because at the moment it's blindingly obvious which games that have been released are using pulp and (laughs) it's not necessarily a bad thing but there's a real clunky sloppiness that comes with the imprecision of developing something in it like some games lean into this and make it work some don't and just appear really really rough like a crude pencil sketch of a potential lovely piece of art speaking of art art dot 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 Ampersand More is another catalogue game that I've played on the Playdate and it's been developed in Pulp. It's a lovely concept, but quite clumsily executed. It's essentially a little sandbox type game where you explore a virtual art gallery and the surrounding areas, viewing artwork, finding secrets, collecting collectibles, and all of the art pieces in the gallery have some connection to the Playdate and the various developers that have been involved in the first season of games and beyond. And it's a lovely, like, museum-type game. It reminded me of that 3D museum hub in Sonic Jam. Oh, yeah. Where 
it's essentially just like a playable menu to see yeah. some nice and interesting yeah. things. I really like this game, but it's just so gosh darn clunky and ugly to play that it just got boring quite quickly. Yeah. And it could be something really special. It feels like it could be a real celebration of the play date and the success of all the involved developers. So, yeah, I mean, it feels like Panic should get in touch with them, help them develop it and release it as like a free game to celebrate the first season and the catalogue. But I'd say it's only a couple of quid on the catalogue and it's worth that definitely to have a little knockabout and, and see it. Slightly more successfully in Pulp is a game called Bub O Collect, which is a puzzle game where you're blowing bubbles and sending them ricocheting around different stages to collect pickups and avoid spikes that will literally and metaphorically burst your bubble. It's a nice concept. It provides a different way to think about things, but it's still ultimately a bit clunky to play, which makes some of the more precise elements very, very frustrating. It's also a little buggy uh, because there's like there's an element in the stages where you can use the crank to rotate various panels around the stage to change the angle of them yeah. to send then your bubble bouncing in different ways and along different routes. And there have been times where just the control of these has just been very wonky, which is annoying. And also, more negatively, I've had times where the level has reset with some of the panels reset to their original position and some of them are not. And <laughs> you control all of the panels yeah. at the same time. So if that happens, it means they're out of sync with each other and it basically makes the level unsolvable, which Impossible. is a real shame. Mm. It's, it's a nice concept. And again, one that would be nice to see developed. I hate to say this developed properly at some point. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't a slight on Pulp because, like I said, it's a really, really cool tool that's been made. And if it's a choice between, like, somebody making a game in Pulp or never making a game, then absolutely, it's a great thing. But it does feel like a sketchpad for game ideas yeah. rather than a way to make satisfying and complete games in their entirety. However, I am going to end by talking about a game that I really did like and that I think worked with the limitations of Pulp very well. And that's called Life's Too Short. And it's a very short, sweet narrative puzzle adventure game. It's got some point and click features like you find items and combine them and use them in the right places to progress the story. It's just set in this little spooky mansion, not very many rooms, and it's just really charming. The graphics are nice and clear, if not very flashy, but the writing is whimsical and fun. The puzzles are nice to solve and it doesn't outstay its welcome. Done and dusted in about half an hour. Like that. I really enjoyed it. I don't think... This game is one that would benefit massively from being rebuilt in Lua or C, aside from maybe the graphics and animations being a bit more sophisticated, but I don't think it would improve the experience. So yeah, I'm ending on this being a nice big win for pulp developed games. And if you do want something similar that has a bit more depth and polish to it, you could check out another game called Post Hero, which is also on the catalogue now and is another lovely little whimsical point and click style puzzle adventure. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. I mean, what a ridiculously versatile selection of games just there. It's a lot of games. It's on a play date. <laughs> what is this? It's amazing. I love it. I love it. It's a play date. 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 Sue, 
on to the final twosome for this first season of games and both of these games come from the developer Sweet Baby who had previously helped develop and released the woeful uh, Lost Your Marbles <laughs> earlier this season. So Chris, why don't you tell us about Recommendation Dog or Barks and Wreck as I'm calling it. Oh, that's really good. That's really good. Right. So our two games today, Recommendation Dog and Real Steel, it's worth quickly dialing down into how both of these games came about, I feel, because they were not mm. as, they were not part of the season. And they have launched alongside the catalogue when that was added to the play date. So they are essentially promotional titles in a way to kind of sell the idea of the buy-on-device storefront. But their genesis actually goes back a little further. And to give yet another shout-out, courtesy of the wonderful Playdate podcast, which... I bigged up last episode, we did the play date, and you've just talked about today as well. I found out that these games were developed by, as you've said, Sweet Baby Inc., the group behind our favourite game, Lost Your Marbles, but as part of a mentorship programme. And it basically looks to support people either from marginalised backgrounds or people with limited professional games experience to try and enter the industry. And in the case of both Recommendation Dog and Real Steel, fledgling designers artists, musicians, like the whole kit and caboodle you need to make a game, were paired up with more experienced team members at Sweet Baby to develop and deliver a full commercial game in about a six-month period. And that program itself was co-funded, I believe, by Panic as well. So that's why they then dovetailed into the catalogue's official release. So the free cost of entry for both titles would ensure a good number of eyes on these projects too, as well as a proper shipped credit on the CVs of everyone involved. And I think it's a really nice forward-thinking initiative and it's really encouraging to be able to look at the play date not only as an outside-the-box gaming experience for the end consumer but also as an outside-the-box development experience for mm. kind of you know industry legends and newbies alike so it's got real versatility I think. Recommendation Dog. It is interesting I think to look at the play date and consider the gaming trends its output either does or does not follow. Like you've just listed off essentially almost 10 games on the catalogue, all of them completely different to one another. Yeah. If you take the season games, very few of those games would be considered core games as understood in 2023 outside of maybe Ratcheteer or Star Sled at a push. Yeah. You know, once upon a time, core would have encompassed the sort of arcade score chaser like Flipper Lifter or Snack or B360. But even those are well outside the norm in modern games development, you know, AAA, indie or otherwise. It's just not the games people are making for big audiences. And so we look at what the Playdate community, both as developers and players, have latched onto, and you start finding trends like cosy gaming as a genre <laughs> modifier. Mm. So, you know, the aesthetic trapping that's come to link games like Animal Crossing or Stardew Valley, a short hike, that sort of thing. Another one of these modifiers that I think applies to a huge range of Playdate titles, and you've mentioned several today, is something I'm going to call flash gaming and we really need minty back to properly extol the virtues of now long dead macromedia or later adobe flash developed games mm. but there's something about the specificity of design in many playdate games coupled with the shorter development and indeed run times that makes a game like recommendation dog feel like something that years back would have been demoed using flash and indeed the more i've thought about it the more this idea of Flash's lineage and what Flash games embodied in their prime feels right to apply to all sorts of Playdate titles. So 
Playdate's library often feels to me like a continuation of what many Flash designers were doing back in, say, the Newgrounds days. You know, take, say, Super Meat Boy, for example. That wouldn't work on the Playdate, as it ended up being shipped, but its early Flash demo, which was less refined, it was much, much smaller in scope, probably could have. Alien Hominid as well, probably a bad example because of how frenetic that game is, even in its earliest forms. But again, in a different timeline, I can absolutely see a simple three or four stage version of that game starting life on a device like the Playdate instead of in Mm. Flash collections before then being fleshed out into a console and handheld game like it became. Recommendation Dog then, it's a very simple concept. You'll have seen everything it can offer reasonably quickly after booting it up, but I think it is worth playing for the same reason that many Flash games were worth playing. And that's because the melting pot of its art and music, its simple writing, its world building, its central conceit, in this case that essentially you are a dog running a job agency, linking clients to practitioners, is just something you won't find elsewhere. It's unique to this device. You're not going to get it anywhere else. It's not a surprise that many sideloaded Playdate games end up being first sold on itch.io because I think that's very much a platform for experimental or art-first games designers to hawk their wares. And yeah, there are a whole bunch of other more traditional gaming experiences sold there too. But I think the site's bread and butter is visual novels that offer perspectives from marginalised voices or procedurally generated photography games or efforts to backport modern games to home computers like the ZX Spectrum. And again, 10 years prior, most of the games that fit that mould, the type of thing produced by teams of one or two in evenings around other hobbies or jobs as passion projects, would have slipped out via Flash aggregation websites. And conceived a decade ago, it's not a stretch to imagine a game like Recommendation Dog releasing and being spotlit as a featured title on miniclip.com or one of those sites. Because despite its singular mechanic and extreme focus, it probably would have found a reasonable little following via kind of video gaming's blogosphere of the time. And I just think, as I've said a few times with the play date, it's really cool, to me at least, that these tiny weirdo projects, in the absence of something utilitarian like Flash, now have a really unique home on the play date. One of the reasons I've loved having my Steam Deck is that it makes PC games and PC gaming feel more consoleized. You know, I rarely play things on my laptop, despite its power, because gaming just isn't comfortable there. It's not an event. And the play date pedestals even tiny games in a similar way. You know, if I found Recommendation Dog online, probably wouldn't give it much of a thought. But because it's on the play date, I can play it for five minutes while I'm just in between other stuff or as a break from doing some work or something like that. It's quite a nice little time. I guarantee that if it was on a web browser, I wouldn't really give it a look in. It would just be something that maybe I saw a reference somewhere, I'd put it to the back of my mind and never load it. But this idea of flash gaming, I think, is more about the vibe than the delivery method or method of play. And it's cool that the Playdate can do that and kind of be a place for these games to land and get a bit of attention. The game itself, it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, though, like I said, it's really simple. The basic kind of premise is a silhouetted figure will enter your office with a specific request. It could be something like, I need a driver who's reliable and cheap. And then you use the crank to satisfyingly thumb through a Rolodex of profiles where each fictional character is presented with a portrait, a job title, and a ranking for things like their reliability or their cost. If you choose an accurate match, you'll be rewarded with a nice chunk of score. If you choose an accurate match quickly, you'll receive a nicer chunk of score. And if you make a bad match, you get a strike. If you get three strikes, it's game over. The main game to play to completion takes place over five sessions. 
Each session adds more character cards to your Rolodex and more oblique requests, which makes acting quickly more of a challenge. Between each session, you can peruse your cards at leisure to try and retain key information to help make matches quicker. But honestly, if you can retain numerical values for five graded characteristics for upwards of 40 unique characters by the end of a run, you are a better man than me. So I largely just left that option alone and just played on my best reactions and instincts as much as possible. After each completed session, the game will remove one of your strikes as well, meaning that if you beat a level, as it were, you get one life back, and then you can try and push on to cement your five-session score on the in-game high score table. And that's really it. Everything works pretty well. There's some little puns and humour in the character names and client requests. There's tiny references to other Sweet Baby games like O3C Favourite, Lost Your Marbles. But there's not much, really, to say about the game itself because the core is so simple, like... A little flash game, you know. I guess you could describe the game as a very soft papers, please. You know, the admin of that game. The admin of that game without any of the existential and moral dread. That's a very soft opinion. (laughs) It's again, though, been passed through those Playdate trend filters. So not only is it, in my mind, a game of flash lineage, it's also got that cosy label I mentioned at the top of all this, which I know papers, please, absolutely does not. (laughs) <laughs> that's in a way that's in a way <laughs> love to close those borders yeah the game is short i mentioned that earlier but it does have a really nice little ending after each five session run that plays into this kind of quirky cozy vibe I won't spoil it because it's a nice little treat if you get there it's quite nice the game just didn't grab me particularly though as a score chaser because the gameplay feels relatively static and the only mm. route to be better is really to memorize character traits each round like a savant <laughs> you know, yeah. there isn't any other way to get better the best score games in the season have been those that let you master either the controls like hypermedia or whitewater wipeout or the scoring and movement like snack and recommendation dog is probably a bit closer to inventory hero in the way it seems more expansive than it is you know you, you feel like yeah. you've got quite a lot of agency and then once you've played a few times you're like no i probably don't actually yeah. <laughs> so after a couple of plays you start to realize it's mainly window dressing yeah it's a lower tier season or season plus effort for me, I think. Yeah. But I don't dislike it. I'm just saying there's not much to it. It's like a bag of crisps. I enjoyed it for the time it took me to eat my Watsits. <laughs> How yeah. do you get on? How do you get on? Yeah, I mean, I like the presentation of it. And I yeah. think, you know, it's a fun approach, but it's just frustrating to do something that could be easily done so much quicker if you had your contacts on a computer <laughs> just typing their name it's funny like, there's a real sort of trend in a lot of like mystery and sort of detective shows and films where it's basically you have to set them in the 80s or 90s yeah. uh, because so many stories and plots fall apart once you have mobile phones and yeah. smart devices in play so whilst like you know it's a nice aesthetic and you know that rolodex is a classic icon I was just like, look, let me just put these in a quick database for you and I'll save that lovely dog some hassle. Yeah, yeah. Poor little pup. Yeah, that's it, really. Real Steel? So Real Steel is, remarkably, the first game on the Playdate to actually employ fishing mechanics using the crank. The obvious mechanic that all developers avoided because they thought everyone else would do it and then no one did. It's quite funny, isn't it? (laughs) But Real Steel isn't a fishing game, even though it does feature a fishing rod and a very large hook. It's a hook so large, in fact, that it can suspend the weight of one entire burglar as you are lowered through a series of buildings, avoiding various traps, Mission Impossible style, as you attempt to pull off a series of daring heists. 
there's some fairly brief and breezy characters and plot to get through between stages, and then the levels you attempt increase in difficulty and complexity the further you get. You do a set of five stages with one set of characters, and then you unlock the next set of characters, which unlocks five more difficult stages. And there are five sets of characters making for, I guess, 25, and not I guess, precisely, 25. <laughs> Jesus, he maths. Yeah, that's there. <laughs> I'm just doing it on a computer, not in my head. Um, 25 danglingly difficult levels to master. And there are collectibles to get on your way down, of which there is an achievement for getting all of them. Then there's also an achievement for making it down without being spotted. And also an achievement for completing the heist in a timely manner. And the main aim of the level is to get to a particular item at the bottom of the level and then haul it back up through the level to safety. The mechanics are pretty simple. The crank makes the fishing hook go up and down. You're automatically just moving left to right and back again on a loop. You can press a button to reverse this, and you can also press a button to drop your burglar if you need them to zip through a section that you can't take the hook through. When you reach the bottom of the level and reach your prize, you get an opportunity to leave a calling card. So you get this little window of time to use some very, very crude drawing tools to leave a little memento <laughs> to your burglarid, which is quite a fun little touch. It's not a bad game, but there are just so many ways that it could be a lot better. Yeah. For example, coming back to the performance thing I was talking about earlier, as the levels get more complex, the performance goes to absolute shit. Yeah. And the yeah. level design really falls apart as they're finding ways to make it more challenging with the limited attributes that have been established, leading just to some really unfun, dull, very frustrating levels. Also, when you drop your burglar or you drop your prize, it can only really fall just beyond the scope of the screen. Like, it doesn't keep falling through the whole level and it means basically like the game is only loading basically what you can see yeah. at one time which is i guess a way to help performance but it means that like trying to catch your burglar again or catch whatever it is you've stolen it just feels incredibly clunky as it's all just a bit slow and awkward and it just feels very glitchy and buggy more than anything else like it could have been a really cool mechanic if dropping and catching was more precise because it could have made some very sort of either fun, like ambitious puzzle solving moments or just some speed running tactics. But as it is, it's just ugly and horrible. Another thing. <laughs> it's like they couldn't figure out how to make a menu in the game because the game is strangely devoid of menus. Yeah. Like when you're leaving your calling card, the info you're given just sort of flashes up with a little countdown timer for it disappearing. So it's just like, oh, it shows you the info and then five, four, three, two, one, and it disappears. It's just like, that's weird. Just press a button yeah, when you finish reading yeah. it. And then like the drawing of the calling card is on a timer as well, which is fine because like it's funnier if you're rushing and you've only got like 30 seconds to draw something. So it's going to be a bit shit. But you can't then just like press a button to say finished and crack That's on. the most annoying bit of this whole game for me. You have to hold a button down and then it's it like it skips the timer to then counting down from three. And it's just really slow and clumsy and really annoying. There's also no level select for the characters and levels that you have completed, which makes the whole idea of replaying the levels to get all of those achievements that I mentioned earlier totally pointless. Because yeah. I can't remember which ones I've got and which ones I haven't for which levels and which characters, and I can't see which ones I've got unless I complete the level and then it's moved on to the next one. And 
you have to play through all five levels of a character set then before you can come back to select a different set of characters to play as. It's maddeningly stupid. (laughs) I probably would have put up with and played through a lot more of the game if I could have gone back to, say, like, even just like the first set of characters to try and get all three achievements on each of the levels for some extra unlockable. I don't know. I I would have done that, but... (laughs) I didn't. <laughs> I, I know that Sweet Baby, they're a company that's more about like narrative development and sort of narrative support yeah. than game design, but surely they could have found a solution for this. I don't really like the auto-moving mechanic that's in there, of it just always sort of moving left to right, although I can understand the need for having like a hands-off element to this as your hand is obviously busy operating the crank. But there are two ways this could be better. One is to make it a little more tighter and readable so you know the precise moment when the change in direction is happening, which could be a small sound effect, just like a whoosh of a fishing line being swung, or the change happens at a sharper increment instead of slowing down as the change happens, because it means that when you need real precision to get through a little gap or pick up a bit of treasure between the laser beams, you can often accidentally trigger the switch direction button at the wrong time to do the precise exact opposite of what you want in that moment because (laughs) it's not clear yeah yeah the other option is to give us the option of whether we want to manually steer with the d-pad or if we want it done automatically can't do menus though (laughs) can't do menus you know like i don't think it makes a difference to the gameplay because in the podcast episode they were talking about you know wanting the game to be open and accessible but I think your standard chance of getting better times and higher scores by having more precise control on the D-pad. But yes, an automated version would be available to those who find it too fiddly to juggle the crank and a few buttons instead of just minimal multitasking. So, like, again, it's a game that shows potential but is let down by just some really poor game design and some poor performance. But it's definitely my favourite of the three Sweet Baby games that they've put out. Yeah. and. I do really, really love the ethos of their game development being more inclusive, giving fledgling developers an opportunity. But I feel that there just needs to be one additional level of QA in place so that these games can feel properly finished. Because as they are, they don't feel finished. And that's fine for like a young developer looking to make demos, build skills and a CV. But objectively, when you put these games next to the other games that are on the play date, it just doesn't measure up. They just don't measure up, you know, to the other games available. And I feel that it's almost then setting these people up for for a fall if you don't have the prior knowledge that this is what they are. Yeah, I mean, this game, I think, has really stood out in a way because a lot of this season, because of the lower spec of the machine and the potentially lower barrier to entry, I guess, I've spent thinking in the back of my mind, like, could I design a Playdate game? And I mean, Mm. the key word here is design, not create or produce, because I have no skills. I don't know of anyone that does have any of the skills I would need. But it's games like Real Steel that have whet my appetite almost more than some of the good ones, some of my favourites, because holding it in my hand and playing a stage here and there, I've spent a lot of the time thinking, just as you've described, something doesn't feel quite right. And then stepping back and going, but why? And trying to sort of troubleshoot that as a layman. It's like, no, I can't go in and tweak the code and fix it. But could I foresee a way to make it feel better? Mm. And I think this is a frustrating one because the game has the potential to almost be a sort of Kuru Kururin or roundabout sort of title where an element is moving without your control 
and you're trying to navigate a maze essentially because that's all the game is really so you know you're making your way down the shaft of obstacles and collectibles but with certain movement elements outside of your control and just like you've described the way your character is always moving left and right yeah maybe that's a constraint that could work although it's not implemented that well here especially because you can change your direction at any time it doesn't even feel that narrow a focus yeah in the same way like the spinning stick does in Karu Karuin. so here's my potential redesign for this game here we go here we go i'm gonna fix it so make it so your character basically stays in the same position horizontally just take out left and right completely but give way more speed options and granularity to how the crank raises or lowers your little thief so the obstacles and collectibles then would become the things that sway or move so you have to navigate either into or around controlling the speed as is appropriate so make the game far more about barreling along you know keeping up a a good level of pace each time and having ideally like the medal times always present on screen forcing you to potentially try and rush through you know you might make a mistake but it's about also potentially reaping the rewards of glory as well because you've got there quicker it's things like that that I, i just think the whole game needs tightening yeah like it plays okay but there's something about it all that's just a bit unsatisfying and this is much more learnable and skill-based i guess than recommendation dog so there is the potential to kind of get a bit better with trial and error and you can revisit level and get a better time or whatever but something about it is just woolly it's all a bit yeah. woolly and like you say props to you know fledgling designers and whoever else has been involved for making something having that credit getting something out in the world on a proper commercial device but like you say another solution is as part of this whole mentorship program have someone from panic come in at the end yeah you know they're paying for this in part have them turn yeah. up and just be like let's have a couple of days for a final qa pass let's try and sort of troubleshoot what we can if you're yeah. struggling with a menu let's fix it you know because they know what they're doing and by the sounds of the playdate podcast which we just talk about all the time apparently yeah it's a good podcast they were very hands-on with the development of pretty much all the season games and i think that shows that even the ones we didn't like worked pretty solidly yeah you know everything was functional everything did what it was supposed to do and the main criticisms we've had have been the design of it was maybe not that fun so the execution of an idea maybe didn't quite come together in a way which we found personally enjoyable it wasn't that oh in white water wipeout sometimes when you spin the crank nothing happens yeah exactly <laughs> you know it was no, it was nothing like yeah. that that fundamentally broke a game it was just sometimes we were like ah would have liked a bit more from that Whereas for these two, both of them have things that make you think they need another month in the oven, like something just to sort of tighten up and and fix some of these little niggles that could have ended up, you know, with two better games as opposed to two average games. So there we go. That was our final slightly bonus Playdate update. Recommendation dog, real steal. Find out in two weeks time how they all stack up against each other i'm i cannot wait you know i mean obviously we spent three and a bit years like doing just lists we love a list love a list i cannot wait to put this in a list and tell you what order i think these go in we're going to talk about all of the first season of games including recommendation dog and real steel we're also going to be trying to put some of the catalog games in a rough order and we're going to be handing out some special awards for certain games and for certain moments of brilliance within all of the games (laughs) 
Yeah. Next week we will be back with an interim update where I'm probably well, probably just be talking about Zelda, won't we? I reckon. If you want to get in touch with us, you can do that. O3C Games, that's what we are at on everything. Tell us what you're playing. Give us your own recommendations of what we should be playing. Why not? Tell us how you're getting on with Zelda, but no spoilers. Or you can reach out to us individually. At Jonathan Dunn on Twitter is me. At Chaz underscore Hodges is me. Put your play dates down, lads. Go and play Zelda. Why not? Treat yourself. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>